So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. It reads, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So last week we looked at verses 13 through 20, and so tonight I kind of want to just really spend some time looking at this last section of how Jesus wants to end this sermon. And like we've been saying for a lot of weeks, This is probably a summary of a sermon that Jesus would give a lot to people. It is almost as if it is his own Mein Kampf. It is his manifesto to the kingdom. He is trying to get you to understand what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it really look like to be a Christian? And in fact, the passage we're at today has always been a a passage that tells me this one thing, that a lot of people may say that they're a Christian, but they're really not. Jesus wants to flush that out. Over and over, He's telling us, what does it look like to have a perfect righteousness? What does it look like to have influence in society as a Christian? What does your character look like? We're not supposed to pass judgment. And we would mentioned that this is the summary And he's giving us four different illustrations and he's trying to beat it over our heads over and over and over. But guess what? You have a choice to make. It is your decision. There are two paths. The wide path and the narrow. You have two different trees. The good tree and the bad tree. 
You have two different pleas. And now we see you have two different houses. So verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're talking about judgment day. People come up to Jesus, to God, and say, hey, what about me? Hey, gee, over here, did you forget that I'm your, we're homeboys, right? I even had a teacher that said Jesus is my homeboy. And what Jesus is saying here, this is, this is very important to know. You have to understand this. The actual number of those who will enter the kingdom of heaven is smaller than the number of those who profess to belong to that kingdom. Let me repeat that so you don't ever forget it. The actual number of those who will actually enter in to heaven with God is smaller than the number of those who profess to belong to Jesus. Imagine a big circle here, right? we got a big circle. And inside this circle are a bunch of different people saying, hey, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I like the Bible. Hey, I vote Republican. Whatever you want to think of Christian, whatever. Here's, here's this big circle of, of Christian people. Now think of a smaller circle inside that circle. That smaller circle are those who are actually going to have an eternal relationship with God. See, this passage is not meant to strike fear in the heart of those who are truly saved by Christ. But it is supposed to be be some type of warning. In fact, the warning is that your words don't mean anything to God. You can say as much as you want. You can say you believe as much as you want. Jesus says, guess what? That doesn't matter. And the the reality is, more than likely, possibly, more than possibly, a fact is that there are people in this room who call themselves Christians. And based on their relationship with God right now, they will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Every church around the world, that is a fact. That people just like you who are sitting underneath God's word have it in their minds that, hey, I like Jesus. I want to go to heaven. And yet, if they are not told what it really means to be a Christian, they will find the words of Jesus to be Startling. You look at this guy, right? He was orthodox. And by orthodox, I mean like he was right in his in what he said. He cut, Lord, Lord, you know, he even knows how to refer to him. You know, Jesus, like, you're my Lord, hey. He he did the right things, right? Um, what does it say? Did we not prophesy in your name? You know, that's not something where you know a typical just Christian say, Hey, I listen to Caleb. Like, no, this guy is actually he's preaching God's word. He probably had conviction. He probably was able to parse all the Greek verbs in the whole entire New Testament. He knew everything about everything. Hey, I prophesied for you, Jesus. And look at this one. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Now let's contextualize that for a little bit. Hey, Jesus, man, I, I played in the worship band. I've raised my kids in the church. 
I was faithful. I, I, I went to the mission trips. I listened to my youth pastor. I tried to love people. I did all these things. I, I went to Africa. I donated money to missionaries. And Jesus gives one of the most penetrating verses in the entire Bible when he says, I never knew you. As if Jesus is saying, yeah, you were extremely busy. Yeah, I saw you at all those small groups. You did all that stuff. You went to the Mexico mission trip. You read your Bible on your phone for two minutes before you went to school in your car. It's like, how do you know I did that? No, it's, it's not that. It's just like, all of a sudden, everybody assumes that that's me because I my Bible off my phone. Uh, I was thinking about Alex Holden, actually. No, I'm kidding. That word there at the end of verse 23 where Jesus says, declare. That's the Greek word. Oh, what is it? Homologeo, right? Homologeo. Yeah, declare. That is not just Jesus saying. That is Jesus confessing to the Father and to all the people. He is making a statement that I never knew you. Here is the problem with this. Here is the problem with us. Is that we like to gauge our Christianity by things that we're doing. We like to think that God is happy with me because I show up. Or because I went on the trip. Or because I read my Bible. Or because I even tried to pray for people. And Jesus wants to say, why, why were you even doing this stuff? Why did you come to youth group every week? What were you doing it for? And I, and I look at this a little bit and I say, Jesus, why so harsh, man? Like this person, like, Lord, Lord. Like, like, he actually has like a sentimental like, emotion with Jesus. Like, Lord, what about me? I did these things for you. And Jesus, you know, like, I never knew you. Like, declaring that to people. And why is he so harsh? And, and he goes on to say, because he didn't do the will of my father. He didn't do the will of my father. Like we looked at last week, they didn't have the good fruits that came from the tree. So we're told that we can be involved in reading our Bibles, coming to the youth group, talking about Christ, going to small groups, going to mission trips, going to VBSs, helping out VBSs, going to Awana, going to Christian college. And guess what? You still have a bad tree. You still bear bad fruit. Wouldn't it be nice if I can just write you a book and tell you, hey, if you want to be a good Christian, you'll make sure to, to read one Christian book every week, pray for at least 10 minutes a day, read three verses of your Bible, make sure to send your kids to Awana or to some type of VBS one day, make sure to find a good Christian spouse. If you do all those things, you're being a good Christian, don't worry about anything. How easy would that be? Do you know why? Just a bunch of rules. Good to go. I did my rules. See you later. And the Christian faith is so far from that. They have no good fruit. You know, I, I sometimes think like, 
what is the most important thing a Christian can do? Well, as a matter of fact, what is the most important thing for any Christian? Jesus says it, right? Maybe not here. But Jesus says, if you love me, you'll try really hard. If you love me, you'll think nice, warm thoughts about me, right? Just want to cuddle up in your love, Jesus? What does Jesus say? If you love me, you'll follow my commands. If you love me, you'll obey me. See, obedience to Jesus. What's that? Obey my rules. Yeah, exactly. John 15. Obedience is the most important thing for any Christian. Hebrews 12.14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12.14. And so Jesus isn't saying you have to do a, you know, a certain amount of holiness. But think about your life for one second. Last week we talked about how the Christian life is not easy. In fact, it is narrow and it's hard and it's difficult and it's strange and it's weird and we're on the wrong side of history. And Jesus says we have to bear good fruit. And now he's saying not everyone who calls himself a Christian will actually be before God guiltless. Think about your Christian life. Is it ever hard to be holy? Does living for God ever make a difference in your day-to-day decisions, like your thought processes, going through your, your class schedules, when you're at home with your family, what you watch on TV? Gosh, I mean, I honestly, like, sometimes I don't know how people listen to the radio. Every song, it seems like, what was the song today? I'll, I'll sing it for the recording. Um, if you Yeah, so what, 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 is, what is she saying right there? Your body's perfect, so put it on me. Pretty much? You got a perfect one, so put it. Like. It's all right. It's all right. I, 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 I heard it, okay? I listen to this, okay? And, and I see the things that are constantly being before us, okay? And at some point in my Christian life, does me being holy affect what I listen to? Does me being holy affect what I watch or what I talk about? And Jesus is saying, this is the difference of the person who actually confesses that they believe in me and who actually has a good tree, who's actually walking the straight and narrow. See, high schoolers, it is easy, it is easy to say you believe in Jesus and to kind of look like your friends in high school and to kind of look like your friends at youth group and say, well, hey, I got Jesus over here. He's my safety blanket. But really... All this other stuff about being successful and having a boyfriend or girlfriend or being well-known on social media or having the right clothes or shoes. And often we compare ourselves with others, not just with material things, but we compare ourselves with skills and talents. And their parents aren't divorced. Well, and their parents let them do whatever they want. And sometimes even we even 
it gets crept into our own spiritual lives, right? Where, hey, I'm, I'm doing better in my Christian life than they are. I must be fine. Wrong. Wrong. When did we ever get in our mind that we can look at another person and compare how they live and think, I'm doing pretty good. And Jesus' whole message right here is trying to say, listen, think about your own life. I know all of you in this room probably at some point like, yeah, Jesus is pretty cool. I want to follow Jesus. He is trying to let you get an opportunity to think again. Have you really decided to follow Jesus at all costs? Two houses. You know, it's funny. I look at this story, and I've heard it my entire life, and there's probably three Sunday school songs I know in regard to this uh, little passage here about the house, right? But something on the surface is that I'm assuming that both of these houses look identical. I bought a house last fall, and I kid you not, almost every house looks identical. It is like cookie cutter to the max. Like they are just pounding out houses. They probably built it in one week, and that's why things are falling apart. No, I'm kidding. It's not that bad. But if you walk in our, in our, our community, wherever we live, the only thing that's different really is like the color of the houses. But everything else is like virtually the same. And I try to keep my lawn, but it's dying. It's dying, and it's sad, and I try... But these two houses that Jesus describes, they're probably identical. Okay? They look the same. They're the same type of, wouldn't say the same paint, same type of roofing, and the windows in the same spot, the, house, the door is the same, okay, whatever. It's the same. But what's, what's different about it? It's foundation, right? Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man. To be foolish, Jesus says, is to hear what he's been saying on the Sermon on the Mount and to ignore them. You see, I'm struck with one thing because what reveals whether or not someone is foolish and has built their house on the sand and what reveals the fact that someone has built their house on the foundation? What does Jesus say? Verse 27. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. The storm. See, there's always going to be the storms in life that will reveal your foundation. The storm of maybe losing a family member, the storm of sickness, the storm of failure, the storm of questioning and not understanding what's happening in life, the storm of you are bored and you hate life, the storm of whatever it is, when it comes to you and it comes crashing down on your house, it will reveal what your foundation is on. I have seen, listen, I, I love speaking from my personal experience because Sometimes experience, you can't get it in a book, right? I've sat in one of these chairs, right? I was in youth group one day, once upon a time, and I just sat right where Jack is, huh? Back here. I sat, scoot over a second. Yeah. I sat right here, and this is, this is my thing right here. I've never done this. I don't even know what I'm doing right now. I'm going for it. And I was sitting there listening, and I always had my Bible open, but I was like the tap on the shoulder guy, Right? I'm just giving you a picture of that. I sat with you, and guess what? 
I had a similar sized youth group, 30, 40 high schoolers. I went on the mission trips with them, went to the summer camps with them, went to the small groups with them. I sang songs with them. I prayed with them. You know what? Over life, I've been out of high school now for eight years. Storms came. And you know what? I, I, I began to see the people who truly built their foundation not on what other Christians look like, not on what was fun at the time, but they built their foundation on this book. And too many Christians nowadays, they build their foundation on what they think is the gospel, what they think is God's word, because they have some Christian friends and a community and they feel safe. But the second a storm comes, their faith in God is shattered. See, Jesus is trying to make a point through all of these four stories. He's trying to drill through our heads over and over and over again. There's a contrast he's trying to make that there is no wiggle room. Does that make sense? There is no gray area. At this point, Jesus is being very black and white. One way leads to life. One way leads to death. One tree has bad fruit. One tree has good fruit. One plea will bring you into safety and security with God. One plea will have a confession saying, I never knew you. One house will lead to, what does it say? A great fall. And one house will lead you standing. Jesus is getting us to the point of decision. You see, here's the reality of us all. This is me included. At times in our life, we want what is easy. I loved what Riley had shared there. We do what is easy. There are plenty of you in this room where you profess to be a Christian. You profess to love Jesus. Guess what? If I followed you around for a week, I would never know that. And it's almost if as sometimes I just want to say, do you, have you even read the Bible before? Do you even know what it says? And so many of us, we get trapped in this thinking that you know what? God is love. Don't judge me. I'm going to live my life. God wants me to do what I want to do. And guess what? Jesus has nothing to do with that. Look at verse 23. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And what he's saying there is you who think that I never gave you a law. To love Jesus is to obey him. It's to obey his commands. And guess what? It's not just to obey his commands, but it's to do it out of duty, and guess this big other word right here, delight. Do you delight in following God's commands? See, I was in high school, and all throughout junior high and high school, and even sixth grade when it started, I was girl crazy, okay? I chased every girl, I, we would go to the mall, we'd try to get as many phone numbers as we could, it was just dumb, okay? You know what? And I didn't, I didn't hang out with the best of friends through that time, okay? So I'd go to my friend's house, and I grew up in a Christian home, and at my friend's house, that's where I got to watch um, bad stuff, porn. And back then, it wasn't nearly as accessible as it is now. 
And so they'd have all the movies, all the sex scenes, and we get to watch them, okay? And in, in high school, it became more accessible. And I'd watch some bad things on my computer screen, and then I'd swear, and I'm chasing girls, and guess what? I'm coming to youth group. I'm reading my Bible. I'm comparing who I am to other guys. They're strong, they're big, they're good at music, they can drive when they're 16, my parents won't let me. And I treated God as if there wasn't a law to follow. And so many of my prayers were just this, God forgive me. Hey, I screw up again, I screw up again, I screw up again. God's grace is sufficient, it'll always cover us, but guess what? I did not really repent. I wanted the forgiveness without the repentance. But guess what? Every once in a while, I, I would listen. The Spirit would speak to me. I'd say, Jesus, maybe you are right. And I'd make a small stride saying, you know what? I'm not going to watch that stuff anymore. But guess what? It was hard to stop. It was hard not to think about girls every second. It was hard not to compare. It was hard to actually... Think about every word that was coming from my mouth. It was hard not to cheat on my test because I've done that my entire high school and junior high career. And still to this day, it is hard to be holy. It is hard to be obedient. But I love Jesus. Because he saved me. And you know, because I love him, I want to obey him. And sometimes when I obey Jesus... Jesus, it's simply out of duty right now. It is really hard to do this. I'm not delighting in it. But other times, Jesus, I would be more than happy to follow you in this. High schoolers, decide for yourself, right? Don't ever be caught in the outer circle where you call yourself a Christian. That you have no regard for God's law or for holiness or for actually living this out? Jesus does not want lukewarm, garbage Christians. Jesus wants you to be in love with Him and to obey Him and to worship Him. So, what do we do with this? Huh? What do you do if you get to the point like, you know what? I have, you know, I am building my house on the sand. I do have bad fruit in my life. I have a bad tree. I, you know, at times, Aaron, I go down the wide path because it is easy, because everyone else is doing it. And I have no one telling me to go on the narrow path. That's, that's what my life is. What do I do? What did the Sermon Mount start with? The Beatitudes, right? And Jesus says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. That's where we start. Jesus says, in fact, if you feel broken about after hearing this, he says, congratulations. That's a good way of starting. He said, Jesus, you know, a lot of times I don't do this right. A lot of times I am on the, the, the wide path. But help me, Jesus, to do better. We repent. And we know that every time when we fall back into our old ways, we come back to Jesus and we say, I've messed up again. You repent and you believe. And here's where I'll leave you a little bit. The fruit of your decision of following Jesus will always be a clear sign that you have in fact 
follow Jesus. That makes sense? You repent, you believe. And the fruit of that is that you obey out of duty and delight to Jesus. You will tremble at his word and you will trust him. The last two verses, I was, I was going to skip over them, but I have a few minutes. Um, you really can't understand this whole sermon without understanding these two verses. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. You know, there's a story I, I like to read, um, early American Protestant thought and kind of culture and how America kind of became this Christian Judeo country and values that really no longer exist, but... Benjamin Franklin has been known to always have this relationship with a revivalist by the name of George Whitfield. Okay? Um, if you've never heard of George Whitfield, it should go Wikipedia or something because he's very influential. Um, but Benjamin Franklin was a skeptic, didn't believe in any of this stuff, but he always went to go see George Whitfield. And people would say, like, wait, why are you going, Benjamin? Like, you don't believe any of this stuff. And his reply was always this, I know, but he does. You see, for, for Benjamin Franklin, there's something very, very attractive about the fact that George Whitfield preached and taught in such a way to where he actually believed what he was teaching. And in fact, that is the sign of all great preaching, that when you listen to the dude, like, that guy actually really believes what he's saying. You know, if you hear some talk where some guys talking about the Bible about, hey, you know, God just wants to give you a pat on the back, life's hard, you know, put a little pep in your step because Jesus is smiling down at you and, you know, he's giving you a high five and it just makes you like, this is dumb. But, you know, that same type of preaching where someone is actually very engaging and they actually believe, it repels people. Dude, like you are so sure of everything you believe. You are so close-minded. You know, it's, it's only this one thing for you. And Jesus, when he taught, when he was teaching this message, taught it in a way where the people looked and they were astounded and said, this guy is like no one else. Who invited this guy to the party? You see, this is Jesus who we love. This is Jesus who we put our faith in. Do you notice how Jesus doesn't mention faith in his sermon at all? Think like, well, you need faith to become a Christian, right? This is all about being a Christian. Where's faith? Faith isn't explicitly taught, but it is implicitly in every single section. Do you think of the Christology that Jesus is saying about himself when he says, you will come to me on that day, and I will say to you, I never knew you. Think of the authority that Jesus is claiming to have by being able to say, I never knew you on that day. That is a claim to deity. That is a, a step of faith that we must believe that Jesus is everything. You guys, this sermon right here, if you let it, will be the most influential piece of scripture. I mean, all of God's word is inspired, but this right here is Jesus talking to you directly. This is what it means to be my follower. This is what it means to be my follower. And you, right now, Get to decide. Will you follow Jesus? Will you fall into the trenches when life is hard, when the storms come? Will your foundation be sure? 
Will you get on that day of judgment instead of hearing the word that never knew you, get arms that are embracing you and saying, welcome, my good and faithful servant. Will you follow him by living a life of holiness that is different than the world? Will you follow him when no one else around you is following him? He's making the same point. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Four warnings. Four warnings against people thinking that they actually have faith in Jesus when all they are is going around living a religious life. Decide for yourself. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word that is powerful, that it speaks. And Jesus, I pray the fruit of going through this message, God, would impact us. God, for many years to come, help us not to be guilty of hearing words, God, and just never thinking about them and dwelling on them. But God, I pray that all these students would take the time to consider, God, which path are they on? Which words will they hear from you? God, is their house on the sand or is it on the rock? Thank you, Jesus, that there is hope and there is repentance when we realize that we are on the wrong path. Jesus, may your name be magnified and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.